Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's your gun-toting, horny as hell for some hostess clubs, Wizard Holden McNeely. And it's uh, I, your sneak-skinned, eye-patch-wearing, Kiryu-cha, Bruiser Jake. And uh, we're going to be talking about a franchise that is almost getting its day in the sunlight, the dark mirror to Grand Theft Auto, the crime drama of the East, the Yakuza games. And to uh, help us... We have an amazing guest, uh, basically the only human being that I'd heard talk about these games for the past 10 years until suddenly everybody started talking about them again. <laughs> Pat from Castle Super Beast, the Pat Stares at Twitch channel, angriest Pat on Twitter. How are you doing? Hey. <laughs> hey, what's up? I'm doing great. I think I like I can only I think I am the only person that was talking on social media of any kind of any <laughs> particular note. That was going, Yakuza 3 is really good. Don't play fi- Final Fantasy 13 and Yakuza 3 <laughs> came out in the same fucking month. And I bought the PlayStation 3 for FF13, but also picked up Yakuza 3 because that's a cool game. And boy, <laughs> did history look kindly upon one of them. <laughs> oh my God. I, I remember when my roommate brought home Final Fantasy 13 and I just like stared at it next to him, just mouth agape, like, what the fuck? <laughs> When's the game going to start, huh? <laughs> What the fuck is this game? It's like probably the only Final Fantasy I haven't actually like attempted to play. But also you bring up three, and I actually read an article which was like, which Yakuza games should you play and which ones can you skip? And and it said you could skip three because it's like... You totally can. Yeah. In my want. research, three <laughs> is the one that nobody talks about. Well, it's the orphan. Yeah, it's the orphanage. Well, we are jumping way into it, but... <laughs> you can skip any of them if you like. They're all relatively... But three was pretty weak. The best thing that ever happened with Yakuza 3 is that there is a, uh, a Western game journalist, I forget his name, but he went and got three old Yakuza mans <laughs> and uh, played through most of Yakuza 3 with them and wrote this massive <laughs> interview piece about like these old dudes being like, man, this Kiryu guy, he's like he's like what like we you you know, used to, guys used to be like that, but now it's just all about the money. And I you know, I even knew a guy he had a he had an <laughs> orphanage. Really? Like a real orphanage, not like a tax shelter? Yeah, dumbass. Of course it was a tax shelter, but like he, you know, there was <laughs> still fed the kids. <laughs> he took care of the kids. And he and didn't just, even traffic them. Fascinating. The most interesting thing about uh, the whole thing is that real Yakuza look at Kiryu and say that his tattoo sucks. Ha! 
The black dragon? Because it doesn't cover enough of his back. Ah. It doesn't go down his arms. It doesn't go, you know, like. Yeah, and I and I noticed his front tattoo because he always has that like 70s style, like super unbuttoned, like kind of chest look. And he doesn't have any tat there either. And I was like, that doesn't look like some of the other pictures I saw where they are completely covered in. No, they get like a tattoo jacket. Yeah. I also think that his suit looks like an asshole suit. (laughs) No. Like he looks like a dumbass. You do not insult the (laughs) toughest, handsomest crime disco stew in all of video games. Well, I mean, I think that's. Oh, it's, it's bad. That's what the game does for me though it's like so super serious with actually i think really strong writing and it's also like the goofiest goof em up of a game at the same time and it, it's all like happening at once you always have to remember kiryu exists in 1995 forever <laughs> <laughs> that's when he went into prison yeah <laughs> I guess let's back it up here for a second. Well, first of all, we do the thing that we like to call the gush up top before we really get into the history of all this stuff. But um, I'd say for me personally, I'm still a bit of a Yakuza newbie. I played Zero mm-hmm. at some point last year and really loved it. Um, it's I, great. It's so fucking good. And I really uh, was w- worried because like I played Shinmu when it came out on the Dreamcast. And everyone, like there's such a weird connection to Shinmu, which we'll get into. But also people say it's the spiritual successor to Shinmu which I don't really agree with. It was just sort of like there's some things that Nagoshi took. I'm completely uh, getting sidetracked here. But I will say, loved Yakuza 0 and was kind of shocked at how accessible it was, how the game really was trying to be as fun for you as possible and not at all like, oh, I didn't get to the shop in time before it closed. I guess I have to run all the way home or like bullshit my re- the rest of my well, day. Well, that's a Shenmue exclusive. Exactly. <laughs> and so I was so worried it was going to have all that bullshit in it and it totally didn't. Uh, at no point in the Yakuza franchise do you wander around an empty city going, do you know about any sailors that have been <laughs> hanging out here? <laughs> or uh, go to a crate yard and just like move boxes around for People an hour? love the forklift sequence. I will not have you besmirch now, this legendary piece. That may not necessarily be true. There may be some parts where you're looking for sailors, but I forget. <laughs> um, and then also, so now I'm playing uh, the Yakuza 1 remake, Yakuza Kiwami. I'm very excited about it. I, I finally got jumped back into that. I really want to get to Judgment, but I feel like I need to play through like all of these other games first. So we'll see what I get to there. Uh, Jake, you've never played any of the any of it? My honest to God introduction to the franchise was hearing Pat talk about it on the uh, old podcast and on the old channel. And it was kind of amazing because, you know, I never had to level up the brawler style fighting system. Like, you know, they took care of that. And finally, once uh, Kiwami was available for PC, I picked that up and played that. Uh, For this episode, I picked up Kiwami 2 and I'm enjoying that. In fact, as soon as we get home, I got time now. I'm going to just keep playing it because it is genuinely just a nice, like, relax. That beat-em-up style, I miss it. I miss it so much. So, Mr. Holden, I have bad news for you Okay. in terms of waiting to get to judgment by the time you play through all of these. Okay. Um, First of all, there are five you can't play. (laughs) (laughs) There are three Black Panther PSP games, Yakuza Ishin. And uh, Yakuza Kenzan, which never came out here and are never going to come out here. Ah, and I have I have a Vita that doesn't matter though, huh? No, no, okay. never got translated, and they're never going to. Huh? Uh, there's a lot of really fucked up crazy shit in Kenzan that we're never going to get to see. Where like Haruka is like a murderous child prostitute. Oh man, um, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? 
Oh, uh, yeah. for people unfamiliar with the franchise, Haruka is a uh, plucky orphan girl that you adopt <laughs> in the first uh, game. Eight to 20 year old girl. Yeah, by the way, spoiler alert, I, I kind of hated doing the research this week because I'm like, oh, I guess I know this fucking plot dev- plot point. Don't worry about it. It's stupid. It's it's all stupid. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's so it's so take it or leave it. But I think I think what I come to Yakuza more for is like the, the weird, funny moments the, the fun dialogue, just living in Camarocho is like why I, I think more so than like, oh, the orphan girl, you know, becomes a prostitute. <laughs> so this is one of those series which people ask, how do I get into it? Because it's been released in a bunch of different ways over time. And there's weird, there's remakes, there's re-releases there, you know, like if you went, if you wanted to start at zero, which is a great place to start, you'd hit like PC, PC, PC. PS3, 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 PS4, like, you know, it's all over the place, right? Right. But the the craziest thing is that all the goofiness, all that really, like, super Japanese-style absurd humor uh-huh. that's on display in Zero is almost totally absent from one. Yeah. Yes, and I've noticed that. I'm still I'm still enjoying it because I kind of I really like to see how things of <laughs> how things get to the bananas that I got in Zero. Um, so I'm not really minding it that much because, but I am I am excited for to slowly descend into Yakuza madness through each game. And at least I will say he did recently. I don't know if it's recent or not, but it, I, they are remaking three, four, and five like Kiwami style. Like, they are not. They're not. I thought he said they were. They are remastering. Oh, okay. And those those PS3 ports are out on PS4 in Japan right now. Okay. Three, four, and five. Yeah. Uh, those will probably be coming in the near future to PC. It looks like the way they're releasing them on PC is sequentially. Cool. So, like, Judgment will probably be in, like, three years Okay. on PC, even though they could do it right now. So this is something that people uh, point out is, like, you know, they're hardcore fans of this of these games, and there's so many games that are just left in Japan, and people are like, why don't you just bring them over? You know, just, just bring them over. And they have no idea that, like, localization back during the 8-bit and 16-bit era was its own very fi- like specific art form. And the Yakuza games have so much text and so much dialogue, and it's all so culturally specific that like the English version and the Japanese version are almost two separate scripts. You basically have to, just even with the caveat that, like, okay, this takes place in Japan and it's a different culture and I'm willing to accept that, just, just like turns of phrases and accents and all this context that you need to even begin to understand what's happening is a massive undertaking. It's out of control. So Wooly, uh, my my co-host on the Castle Super Beast podcast, Wooly uh, used to work in QA, mm. and he uh, was at the studio that got localization testing for Yakuza Three, and he describes it as the single most enormous tome of localization <laughs> data he's ever seen it was like binders and binders and like oh. tens of thousands of pages like just absolutely absurd and on top of just raw amount of text right just like there's just a million lines of dialogue right okay translate every single one of these uh drink descriptions <laughs> such a oh. like, in this in a way that sounds like romanticized <laughs> because it's an ad right also this uh, uh, a live chat pornography mini game <laughs> where you're watching cam girls. Okay, you you now need to. The localization team did this a uh, fantastic article on it. I'm like, okay, so part of the mini game is you're supposed to pretend that you're typing, but if you pretend that you're typing the Japanese characters, it doesn't 
fit any English words that they would translate into. So that entire section had to be completely rewritten from scratch. And all the goofy names like uh, uh, Daddy Lover and, and 420 Boner and all, you know, all these characters had to be invented by the localization team. And if they're doing it right, then like the Japanese name was like Leaf Lover of the, of the Blossom or whatever. And they had to like figure yeah. out that that means, oh, it's a weed name. OK, so I <laughs> yeah. guess 420 Lord. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's video. You can see video of me and uh, Dorkly editor Tristan Cooper just like. Dying of embarrassment because we wandered into that mini game, and all of a sudden, big honking Dodonko Henri <laughs> Okita is just wriggling in front of us while we're at work, and we're trying not to like get fired for it. And it's a real video, so it's like extra uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's like, oh. <laughs> but then Kiryu's staring, and he goes like, he he's tights, and he just goes, "Uh, horny." It's growing. <laughs> it's growing. That's it. It's growing. It's growing. It's growing. It's growing. Oh, I, I did that on stream, and I was so uncomfortable. I was so <laughs> uncomfortable. But all that localization shit aside, right? On top of that, they have only had two games that have been dubbed. The first one, yep. and when you were doing uh, Kiryu-chan, you were emulating Mark Hamill, mm. who, by the way, doesn't remember ever voicing that character, <laughs> and two, Judgment, which just came out. Mm -hmm. And the craziest thing about Judgment, I have literally never seen this before. For a game that already has the largest localization budget required ever, right? there is an English dub, and they have completely re-subtitled the entire game as closed captioning for the changes made to the English dub. Holy so shit. if you play in Japanese, you get the Japanese translated localized subtitles as if it were an anime. But if you play in English, you get the closed captioning based on the translated and recorded dub lines. Huh. Whoa. So, so it's a for these medium budgets, these supposedly medium budget games that should be so easy... It's way harder than anyone really thinks. Well, luckily for them, I have a solution for that. Would you like to go down to the Don Quixote and get a Suntory lemon? <laughs> Wait, did you say like swap out the sponsorships? <laughs> Change it to Fanta, get more money? No, but that no, that's one of the reasons why they're able to make that shit is like that that is the most product placement video game that's ever existed in the history of anything. <laughs> but it's fine. Because it makes it, it adds to it. It's like a sports game, you know, with the ads on the yeah. on the bleachers. There is something oddly cathartic and like weirdly like I, I kind of love walking into like the Convenies in Camarocho and seeing all the same noodle brands that are like in my you know in a New York Asia market. Like it's kind of interesting. Well, they're trying to go for like a a hyper fantasy and it's working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, except for all the energy shots. I that's just not a thing here. There are not, like, dudes mm. sipping from little brown glass bottles of Vitality Serum. <laughs> Our energy drinks come in cans the size of, like, a 40-ounce beer, and they all have names like The Beast. <laughs> Your daily dose of stamina ass? What are you <laughs> Stamina XX. So uh, I want to take it a, a, a bit of a step back and, and talk about, like, the history of this entire series, because I have notes. So many notes, Jake. I also have notes. <laughs> So sad about getting into the notes. I will. I want to say though, for people who don't know what the fuck we're talking about, Yakuza is an action adv uh, adventure beat 'em up franchise based on a man named Toshihiro Nagoshi's desire to create a game that would tell the way of life of the Yakuza. And that was another interesting. I mean, we'll get into. We'll talk. I have. I have a bunch of stuff from him talking about this, but it's it's bizarre to me that they even did a localized dub for the first game because he very much so made it for Japanese men. 
First of all, let's talk about Toshihiro Nagoshi, who graduated from Tokyo Zoke University with a degree in movie production, which is going to come way into play here. It was like perfect timing for him, essentially. He said, I wanted to make a movie, but 30 years ago, the Japanese film industry was in a slump, and as a result, there were no job openings. I was really interested in video games, and I figured if I wasn't working a job I was interested in, I wouldn't be able to hold that job for long. So I decided to apply for a job interview at a video game company. I saw Sega as this monolith company and really wasn't expecting to be hired. I honestly went to the interview just for the memory of doing so. I still don't know why, but for some reason, they hired me on the spot. But I think the real reason why was because he like video games are just getting into 3D uh into the 3D world from like your normal standard 2D situation and therefore they're already just just that fact makes them need to be more cinematic right so mm-hmm. this guy comes in who's from film school who's like no you don't want the camera to be there you want the camera to be here you you need the lighting to look like this um, which is hilarious because you think about the first 3D games that we're talking about. They're like Virtua Fighter. Oh, well, no, it's ironic because the first game he was put on was Virtua Racer. Yes. And the legendary groundbreaking uh, feature of that game was the ability to freely pick your camera angle. Mm-hmm. That's what that was. the It was there right on the console in the arcade machine. Uh, we've talked about this in mm-hmm. previous episodes, but around that late 90s, early 2000s uh, period, the Japanese economy, especially uh, the video game industry, was having a massive like boom. And so there was tons of money being pumped into these high concept arcade games. And Sega was one of the forerunners of these like big time cutting edge amusement machines. And you look at the graphics now and it is the most polygonal ass like <laughs> ridiculous, you know, I mean, but still he, he was able to give that guidance. It's just a fascinating thing to think about that they had to completely approach and think about video game design on this whole other way that you know they never had to in the past but in the past it was like look it's in 3d the background is moving slower than the foreground <laughs> what a, what a, you know that was pretty much it i gotta say about that sure uh the yakuza one is the first game that i can remember having dedicated camera work yeah you have cutscenes that are panning and having dedicated cuts towards action and different types of shots which it's like the vast majority of games at the time were directing shit like fucking Sonic Adventure or variations <laughs> of Sonic Adventure. Even something like FF10, like almost every single shot in that entire game is like a static wide shot of characters close enough that you can see their mouth flaps. Right, right, totally. Part of that is because a lot of early video game cut scenery was kind of anime influenced, uh-huh. especially in Japanese mm-hmm, games. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, the Yakuza series are working on a very solid foundation of Yakuza movies and soap opera. Yes, <laughs> and and soap opera. Are you are you a big fan of like Yakuza films, Pat? Hell no. What? <laughs> You've never seen Battles Without Honor and Humanity? <laughs> yeah, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't care for mafia films either, personally. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I didn't even think about that, that it would obviously be a film genre there. But also, like, and we'll get into the history of the Yakuza, too, at some point in this show, but it was it's also really funny the difference between like the evolution of the yakuza in japan and how they're almost like they've almost become legitimized sort of like whereas like the mafia has kind of been much more broken apart over the years i feel like um because of the structure it's one of those things that when you play the game when i played yakuza one it was a big eye-opening thing for me and i had to check online to see if this was the thing and it's something that happens constantly in the whole series in which they'll say, we got to go down to the office. 
and you're like, what do you mean the office? Uh -huh. And then you walk up and there is the uh, Yakuza family office that the crime family legitimately owns. Right. There's a big sign in the front that says, welcome to the Tojo clan. You might, a subsidiary of Crime Corp. <laughs> This is where the crime mans work in their office and talk about crime. It's it's the weirdest thing in the world. It's so baffling. So so going back to like, all right, we've got these 3D games happening, but it isn't until uh, Shinmu where you have this weird leap in terms of it, it is the bridge between what Sega was doing and Yakuza, but it, it's it's not how I thought it was. I thought Nagoshi was actually like the, at the helm of Shinmu or oh, one of no, the main no, no. people. The whole time, no, no, no. Yeah, he's working, uh, all, his whole time in the arcade divisions, he's working under a guy who deserves his own episode, yeah. Yu Suzuki. Yu Suzuki, who uh, produced and directed Shinmu, uh, and it was developed by Sega AM2 for the Dreamcast and released in 1999 with a sequel in 2001. Yu Suzuki is a legend in the arcade industry. He created Virtua Fighter. He worked on all like these revolutionary like uh, arcade boards that like kind of ushered in the polygonal uh, era, and he he's even the guy that like invented quote unquote super scalar technology that all your favorite like racing games like Outrun and Hang On. Yeah, Yu Suzuki's a fucking genius. But he was also uh, mythical. Uh, terror to work with. He apparently had a really short temper. He was like totally unwilling to work with others. He was like. Just and like he was just one of those guys that had so many hits that like everyone was willing to put up with what a handful he was. Yeah, and and he and with Shinmu he decided to implement. It's essentially like the great rise and fall of every like big artist that does yeah. something like this. He decides to implement a practice called borderless development, which meant he had more than just game devs on the team. Instead, enlisting screenwriters, movie directors. And uh, playwrights with the goal of getting a fusion between gameplay and movie with a high importance of integrated real-time CG and gameplay, but also without a real game plan. Like, he was really just kind of letting it letting <laughs> it fly, which made Shinmu so innovative, uh, being an open-world 3D environment. Essentially, going back to that time, I definitely played Shinmu, like, day one, my buddy Pat, other, other Pat. Uh, from my childhood, picked up the game. He was the dude with the Dreamcast, and it was just this crazy new thing. I remember it was like, there's going to be like 12 of these. It's just oh, yeah. going to be this sprawling, crazy story. And then I'm like in a shipyard, like moving crates around with like a, a with a, a little cart or whatever. And I'm like, what the fuck is this game? But also there was like the little guy with like knife hands that you had to fight. And that game was completely insane. My and friend who had the Dreamcast that I would hang out with all the time, he got Shenmue and I was, I come, I came running. I was like, dude, we got to play your Shenmue. And he was like, no, we we don't. <laughs> I bought like three Gachapon toys and wandered around asking people about like some weird like I they just wouldn't tell you where the next story event was. Oh, you we had to just definitely we definitely beat the first one. Pat, did you play Shenmue? I have played Shenmue a couple times, never for longer than like ten minutes because I pick it up and I move around and I like what do I do? Oh right, this game sucks. Right, I remember now. Shenmue to me is the the pinnacle of innovation does not necessarily make something good. Yes, a hundred percent. It and Yakuza and uh, the newer Deus Ex games are going for an idea that I think Warren Spector talked about upon the original release of Deus Ex, but I, I might be misattributing the quote. But like the ultimate in a game would be to make a giant, giant RPG out of a single city block. Yeah. Just like, just get get real small 
right? But super, super, super feature and detail rich. One thing, especially after the advent, like GTA games and stuff like that, and the whole open world thing, uh, which I'm getting, I'm getting major open world fatigue personally. I love a mm -hmm. small open world game mm -hmm. at this point, like Yakuza. Um, oh shit, what's the horror game that recently had a sequel not too long ago that was really good? Evil oh. Within? Yes. Good work, Jake. Evil Within 2, I really loved. So I was like, oh, this is like a consumable open world where I don't feel like it's just so big and just so, you know, just so monotonous with like the objectives and whatnot. I, I, I love that concept. But, you know, you needed your Shinmu to like start that off. And it did have the innovations of the like the idea with Shinmu that I think was the most uh, alluring was like this is a living town that I get to interact with where everybody has like a schedule in their day. Like, like people, you know, the, the shops open and close people move through the city, uh, and, uh the NPCs rather on their own time and everything. And that was yeah, really it's a pre oblivion, pre radiant AI kind of thought. Yes. And it was really, it's really cool in concept. Like we talk about, but it just got really out of hand with the development. It went way over budget, way over. Nagoshi uh, begged to get out. He was yeah. sick and tired of working under Suzuki. He did not like, you know, it was too much like playing telephone, too much like disorganized, too much chaos. And he basically went up to Sega and was like, I'm out. Give me my own division. Let me work on it. Let me work on just anything else. The CEO would let him though, right? He's well, he, he made it out. And then just like fucking Kiryu. They got him back in. <laughs> so Nagoshi said, I was a supervisor on the team at first. As the project progressed, as you know, it had become bigger and bigger, and I couldn't put up with it anymore. It was one of the turning points in my career. I talked to Yu Suzuki, as well as talking to my boss in the development division at that time, and said, I would like to have my own division. And they made it happen for me. But we really could not see the end of Shinmu. And I was called by our CEO at the time. He said to me, please get this game finished. <laughs> so I was a producer director for the final months of the project. I'd reviewed the whole project, looking at what kind of plan they had and this and the remaining workload. It took me more than a month to understand what was going on. The CEO asked <laughs> it took a month just to understand what was happening. <laughs> yes. The CEO asked me how much time would be needed, and I told him six months. Myself and the programmer and designer I most trusted called the whole team and told them we had to finish the game in six months. We did it, but it was tough and a bitter project for me. Suzuki-san also knew he had to finish the game soon, whatever the final result. He's the kind of person that if he wants to do more cannot stop himself so someone must be there to do it for him our ceo knew that i was the only person he would listen to hard as it was to be asked to do it i knew why it had to be me there's only one reason for why the project turned into such a panic suzuki had been creating arcade games for so long and didn't write planning documents but for console games you have to have a blueprint and it was such a big project uh so it, it's it's and, and but he did say he learned the balance of what needs to happen between you know uh, a planned project and then taking big risks as well right and and sort of got it was kind of like shimu taught negoshi what not to do when making yeah. it when making him especially a small open world game like yakuza would become it's I got to figure out the timing. Do you think Square fucked up with the Final Fantasy movie and lost all its money huh. the same time Sega fucked up with Shenmue and lost all its and money? And where is Kojima at this time? That's my other question. I, mean, <laughs> uh, I cannot help but make tons of comparisons in my head. Metal Gear would have come out a year and a half prior. And Metal Gear, for me, you talked about uh, Yakuza being one of the first games that felt cinematic to you. Uh, Metal Gear, for me, just like having opening credits... And a whole, like all of that, I've talked about it in, in past episodes, but that was the first game where I was like, whoa, 
games are going to be like movies now, <laughs> you know? And I do remember Shinmu even having those elements as well, uh, just, you know, like, uh, yeah, in a different way. But yeah, right? So I'm wondering, so, so Ko- they don't have like Kojima though as like an example or anything like that of, of another auteur, right? I mean, these are like the first auteurs of video games, in other words, I guess is what I'm mm. getting at. And so it's like untreaded territory, therefore Shinmu's can happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, you don't hear stories of Nintendo where like fucking they spent all their Clue Clue Land money on cocaine and shit got off the rails. Well, that's what I love about Nagoshi. Have you, I mean, pa- Angriest Pat, have you seen um, pictures of yeah. uh, Nagoshi? <laughs> I remember, oh God, who was it? Was another developer referring to Nagoshi and he called him oh right that weird tan yakuza baby man <laughs> yes <laughs> honestly like if i could describe his uh appearance he's got like shaved his the sides of his head are shaved but he has like a long like top lock uh he's always wearing sunglasses <laughs> he looks even like indoors. a character in the game he looks he definitely like if he's in- he has fully transformed into a character <laughs> from his own games and he used to be like this party animal i mean he probably still kind of is but he said at one point i was having lots of fun in my life for a long time whether to shake off my stress from work or deepen the connection with my subordinates i was as they say in the west a party animal kind of person and i learned a lot of interesting stories from the people i met and some surprising stories and some sad stories they became elements of yakuza stories even using names and things like that from the clubs he would go get hammered at the other thing is that it's like it's obviously very clear that he has become very very friendly with the types of characters that he writes about <laughs> and i love how they're always talking about how like the team did a lot of rigorous research at the uh different hostess clubs around was, the red uh, light district of- uh one of negoshi's uh <laughs> closest associates is a guy named uh masayoshi yokoyama who uh, is basically responsible for all the later Yakuza games and the Kiwami remakes, you know, kind of the head scriptwriter and like producer and storyboard artist. And he talks about how in his earlier scripts working on the series, people would come up to him and be like, dude, have you ever even been to a hostess club? This is shit. That's not how they work. <laughs> and so he had to, yeah, go and like, I still don't quite understand how hostess clubs work, by the way. It's um, the same way that when someone describes like geishas and samurai times, where it's like, they're not prostitutes. Like, okay, they're not mm-hmm. prostitutes. Okay, uh, the the samurai just go there and then they like eat and they drink and she laughs at your stories and she plays music and entertains you. She is a courtesan and she is not a prostitute. Okay, also she fucks you. Like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like evidenced by the actual mini games themselves, where you're like giving them gifts and sweet talking them, trying to get that meter to go up. <laughs> Uh, in order to, yeah, seal the deal, essentially. A hostess or host club is just the girlfriend experience without the prostitution. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's just just a cultural thing that, like, yes, you are paying them. Yes, you know it's fake and they know it's fake, but, like, it's still fine. It's just a very weird thing. But what if it's not fake, though? <laughs> the stripper likes me. She said so. Uh, Dude, that is exactly what it is. But without <laughs> that the stripping. Is that sentence expanded into a giant market. Hey everybody, it's me, your wicked wizard, Jake, here to talk about this week's sponsor, Gabby. Hey, are you paying for car insurance? Because if you are, chances are you're paying too much for it. The problem is lack of information. There's no easy way to compare quotes from multiple providers without filling out tons of tedious forms and then you get bombarded by a bunch of spam calls after the fact. It's a nightmare. But here's how our new sponsor, Gabby, can help you. 
Gabby was started when its founder, Hanno, was trying to find the best rate on car insurance when he moved to the US from Germany. And he couldn't believe how challenging that was. So, ingenious man Hanno was, he created a solution. Gabby.com is the free tool that compares insurance rates across top providers to find you the best rate for your exact needs, all in less than two minutes. Just go to Gabby.com wizard and you can link your current insurance account to instantly receive quotes from nearly every major insurance company. You heard me talk about how easy and seamless the experience was. Uh, I'm thinking of buying a car and need to know what kind of insurance rates I might be looking to pay. You can use the website, I use the app, and mwah, ooh, man, that's a just a great UI experience. You gotta appreciate it. Gabby users can save over $800 per year on average, and if they can't find you savings, they'll let you know, so you can just sit back and relax and actually be secure in the knowledge you're getting the exact best rate out there, which, you know, that's a pretty good feeling. Unlike other insurance comparison sites, Gabby will never sell your info, so there's not going to be any annoying spam or robocalls or junk mail just because you wanted to see if you could save a few bucks. And you can do all this through Gabby, G-A-B-I. You know what that stands for? Get a better insurance. Gabby. So once again, all you have to do is go to Gabby.com slash wizard and start saving money. No fees, no forms, no spam. Just take two minutes and see if you can save up to $865. It's two minutes. What do you have to lose? Go to Gabby.com slash wizard now. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash wizard. It should be known that um, the neighborhood that it takes place is Kamurocho which is based on the Japanese neighborhood of Kabuki-cho. Uh, it's called that because there was going to be a Kabuki theater yes. built there, and they never did, but the name stuck. Mm-hmm. And it is an entertainment district known for lots of host clubs and pachinko parlors, and it's just this uh, kind of encapsulation of all of the late-night entertainment available in Tokyo. Yeah. And uh, Akamuro is actually... One of the young attendant girls that would populate like geisha houses and courtesans, like fetching food and like helping kind of escort guests to their rooms and do all this stuff. So like they're very aware of the history of like entertainment and receipt and uh, what's escorting and whatever. I You know, obviously, I'm just a fat white guy trying to explain a foreign culture, <laughs> but like mm-hmm. they're very aware of the history. There's and- also a bunch of other locations like there's Soten Bori which takes uh-huh. place in Osaka which is based off of the Doton Bori district and you get that in yeah you get that in five I believe you get that in two and five two and five yeah, yeah. five was the one where it's like I saw the uh the oh and zero and zero yeah it's uh five you get to go to five whole cities what are in those five cities more buildings more, bro- <laughs> more hostesses crime yeah you know, all that, and, and mini games. <laughs> It'd be the equivalent of like, hey man, you get to travel around a bunch of different neighborhoods from Baltimore, New York, Philly, and you know, and it'd be, you'd be, you'd have the distinct feeling of those areas. Mm. But it kind of doesn't hit us quite as hard because those areas just look weird and different yeah. because we're not used to them. Oh, it's watery Japan and less watery Japan. <laughs> this is the one that's got lots of snow in the winter. <laughs> oh, this is the Japan where all the s- signs are of crabs and not of fish. It's a whole different that's place. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, also, Kabuki Cho is referred to as the sleepless town. And according to a report in 2004, there were more than a thousand Yakuza members in Kabuki Cho and 120 different enterprises under their control. Uh, there have since been crackdowns, but that's a lot of fucking crime people in like not a huge part of town. You know what I mean? Or not so what you're area. saying is that it's a perfect location to have your crime story. A hundred percent. So going back to, all right, so in 2000, Sega separates its in-house R&D departments because, I don't know, maybe things aren't going too well for Sega at that time. Maybe there's casualties in the hardware wars. There's a lot of, like, downsizing happening at the company. So they're uh, put into nine subsidiaries with their own president as studio head. Negoshi becomes head of amusement uh, vision. And I had no idea about this until I did the research. He also created Super fucking Monkey Ball, which is another amazing video game. Yeah, like, what? This guy is, like, such a hit maker, man. the, uh, so the deal is, is the hardware wars are, the console wars are over and Sega lost big time. Uh, if you want to find out mm-hmm. about the excesses of Sega at the height of its power and how it all kind of fell apart, uh, listen to our first episode back in 2017, no shit, Sonic yeah. the Hedgehog. But <laughs> he says he didn't care. He was never involved in the hardware department. He makes games and the ability to actually work on other hardware was exciting to him. Also, Japanese developers were getting their ass kicked by the AAA industry, you know, Rockstar, Activision, EA, making all these, like, big-budget military games and fantasy games that just the Japanese developers could not compete on that level of spectacle. Yeah. And so, uh, literally, as, like, a show of defiance, he built Super Monkey Ball for the GameCube, which he, like, as soon as uh, as soon as soon Sega was folding its hardware department, he just literally walked into Nintendo HQ and was like, hey, what are you guys working on? And they're like, uh, we got this lunchbox that we're going to release soon. He was like, give me the specs for that. I want to make something for it. And he was like, just to show that like it, you don't have to compete on their terms, he made Super Monkey Ball, which is simple, arcadey, uh, requires literally just one analog stick to control. You're not controlling the monkey in the ball. You're controlling the platform it is on and trying to get it to its goal. Uh, check out Super Monkey Ball. Good news, they're remaking the bad one, so uh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> he also made F-Zero GX for Nintendo, which was like this big kind of like, I don't know, culturally significant moment because it was Sega making a game for Nintendo. And uh, it was there that he got to meet Shigeru Miyamoto for the first time, Mm. uh, which he describes as like meeting a god. It was like walking into a room and seeing the Beatles across from you. And uh, Miyamoto told him, as this is uh, Nagoshi saying, you know how to do this. All you need to do is be confident and do what you need to do without hesitation. Apparently, Nintendo was so impressed by the work that they did that they begged Nagoshi for the source code for F-Zero GX because they are doing things... uh, in terms of frame rate and uh, resolution that they didn't think the console was even capable of. Okay, now we're in 2003. They're consolidating all like all the studios, and this weirdly works out for Nagoshi. So what happens is he becomes head of new entertainment division at Sega, which included his amusement vision group along with staff that worked on Jet Set Radio, Panzer Dragoon, Orta, and Gun Valkyrie. All these are like solid games, but they're also nothing like Yakuza, which he likes because he essentially, that means, has this super detailed plan in mind, and they don't, and no one there feels like they're the special in terms of the game they're making. So he gets full control, essentially, on everything that they're pumping out and um, is is trying to has this, like, very big vision in terms of creating a game 
for, again, Japanese males. I do have a, a different quote. After PlayStation 2 was launched, the development costs of consumer games increased dramatically, and there was another paradigm shift in the market. Until the PS1 era, era Japanese games in the Western market were successful. Within the top 20, say, around 10 titles would be made in Japan, maybe more, but that changed. And it became difficult for Japanese companies to compete with Western games of high quality and big budgets, like those from EA, Activision, or Rockstar Games. Personally, I knew it would happen. With all that in mind, when thinking of this next game to make, Nagoshi said, first, I abandoned the idea of selling worldwide. Next, I decided I wouldn't mind if female players didn't like the game. Then, that no children were allowed. When I decided all that, the only target left was the Japanese male. I didn't want to create a game where the characters had names like Jack or Tom. I wanted my character's name to be Kazuma Kiryu. Obviously, that wouldn't be familiar to Americans, but it didn't matter, as I wasn't expecting them to buy the game. How many times on this show have we tried to unlock the key to success, and over and over again, it just turns into, stop trying to copy people, yeah. stop trying to like make the most popular thing possible, just focus on what you're good at and make it as good as possible and trust that the audience that you're making it for will dig what you're throwing down. It's also an interesting time. It's a really smart pivot for him because it's so true. The video game market was so much more Japanese dominated for a time. And then you can almost see it evidenced with like the decline in the Tokyo game show. Tokyo game show used to be like E3 level and now it's a much smaller event. And I think that's kind of the same deal with like the way games were made, you know, as EA and companies like that got in and everybody got super into um, jacked dudes with giant machine guns, like murdering Al-Qaeda, Al <laughs> <laughs> essentially. And it's kind of weird that the Yakuza games are gaining so much more notoriety and visibility now that uh, the AAA industry is, uh, Pat, would you agree shitting the bed on a near constant basis? The, the like what i would call uh, attempted quadruple a industry yes being the 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 five like biggest publishers yes it's constant disaster <laughs> one after another the most interesting thing about that is that you look at something like uh, let's look at anthem sure do we please. have to yeah <laughs> anthem is like a focus tested nightmare yeah right it is it is attempting to be all things to all people, and it ends up being literally nothing to no one. <laughs> kind of right? like, kind of like Shinmu, a little bit for in, in a totally different way. And then you look at the way Nagoshi's treated the Yakuza series, and it's like, yeah, I don't even care if this gets localized, <laughs> right? And then you look at Square Enix's uh, talks after Bravely Default mm -hmm. became popular in the West, and there's a couple. There's you have the three types. You have Nagoshi who goes, yeah, I don't give a shit. I guess Westerners like it. You have people over at like Tokyo RPG Factory and parts of Square Enix in which they describe like, there was a long time in which we thought we had to change parts of our games to appeal to Western audiences. And then Western audiences stopped giving a fuck. <laughs> it turns out the things that we liked to make for the Japanese audience is the stuff that the Western audience also liked our games for. Shocker, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. People like Japanese games because they were Japanese games. Yeah. And then you have the recent quote from the Fire Emblem team uh, where three houses blown up. And they're just like, yeah, we have no idea why people in the West started liking the series around Awakening. We don't get it. We don't get it at all. Time we, babies. We it was talked about it and we can't babies. figure it out. <laughs> and it's like because Western players like 
dating their anime characters. That's that's the reason, guys. We're that's, all shippers, all of us. Like it's because they want to date their waifus and their husbandos. That's that's it. That's it. That's literally it. You've cracked the code. <laughs> but I love too that he actively made it not for women. And at the same time, I feel like uh, there, there's a bunch of quotes from I didn't pull about how it has actually found like a big female audience. And I don't feel like when I play the game, I'm like. Other than, I guess, the horniness, the male horniness happening, that it's like that big. I mean, I don't feel like they write the strong, the female characters feel like strong, pretty strong, you know, dynamic, interesting characters, you know? Well, there's like a, a, a like a noir element to most of the female characters because uh-huh. it is a, a crime story. Mm-hmm. Um, like, to be blunt, like the Yakuza games are written by and for macho dickheads. <laughs> like, absolutely. Like, it is. Hey, why is that guy the hero? Because he's so quiet and strong and everybody wants to be... Like, it is absolutely the ultimate macho dickhead fantasy. And Negoshi's literally said, like, I think female... It's found its female audience because guys these days are wimpy. (laughs) Yeah, and guess what? There's a lot of chicks out there that like macho dickheads. (laughs) Because they're big and tough and cool. Shocker. Yeah, the well, I don't know. This is I just remember like uh, playing Kiwami One on my uh, on the big screen in the living room, and my fiance sat down next to me. And like to be fair, it was the early parts of the game, a lot of cutscenes, a lot of cinematics, and she was just like, "Why are all these chiseled mannequin men just grunting at each other? I don't understand." Like she could not care less, but I feel like if she got into the rhythm, she'd enjoy because she loves Japanese. She's as big a weeb as I am, and like as. You know what it is? As soon as I walked into the first convenience store and she was like, oh, my God, a konbini. <laughs> I was like, now you get it. <laughs> I didn't show her any of the hostess clubs. <laughs> it's also a, a a really bizarre tone to ever get anyone hooked on mm. because it might be the slowest paced thing I've ever seen in the game business. Mm. Sure. I It's I was thinking about that too, actually, recently. Like, why? What is it about this game more than more so than others? Because I feel like late, lately I have so many games that I'll just bounce around to, but I get really sucked into Yakuza, and I think maybe it's because it has that just slow, immersive pace where I, I almost forget what I, where I'm heading at times because I get so sidetracked with other bullshit. You just end up playing Space Harrier for forty minutes, yeah. not even remembering. It's it's weird. It's like doing kind of what giant open world games used to do, but now those it's like those I feel like are almost too big and it's like too much too many options but none of them are interesting enough. It's it's a kind of thing that's that's like very obviously directed by a Japanese director with film sensibilities because it's the only game series I can think of that every single cutscene is going to have like a 10 to minute plus long slow shot of a character's face as they think and don't talk not that the character animation is that great in these games <laughs> once again it's a very chiseled zoom man. in on this character's face and look at their pores and they're oh they're conflicted and like it's so slow and it's so f- flat and there's very often no music just background ambiance and it's 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 shot halfway between film noir and soap opera mm-hmm. because when it goes soap opera, fuck off does that melodrama pop. It's just <laughs> it's it's the most dramatic and people are bursting into flames with their man penis energy and just oh I'm gonna get you. Ooh. Oh, we didn't even talk about the heat attacks. 
Yeah, we haven't really gotten into the battle mechanics at all, which were based on a game called Spike Out that he had made uh, way back when with Amusement Vision. Um, and I I go back and forth on the fighting mechanics. I really enjoy it for the most part until I get into that like one fight that's like a million dudes and I just barely die at the very end and then I have to restart the entire fight and then I beat it like really easily the next time and I'm like, so... I. I get, I get a little, fr- obviously it gets a little, you know, uh, samey too. You definitely need to pay attention to the upgrade tree, pay attention to the new abilities, or it will get really boring really fast. And there's tons, like almost, the difficulty spike is just whenever the bosses go just in a full, like, block mode and then unstop- unblockable big attack that you just kind of have to stay clear from. Yeah. I mean, compared to a lot of third-person action games where, like, you want, like, you know, playing Devil May Cry 5, I feel like a superstar and playing sometimes the Yakuza games, I like I just want to build that heat meter and do all the cool shit that I've seen in the trailers. But then like some rando from off just camera kicks you in the head, yeah. And, and I'm just like, no, I wanted to throw him through a plate glass window, then kick him in the chin as he lands, and then throw him on a <laughs> car or whatever, because the heat attacks are so cool, and I can never pull them off right. I uh, I feel like I've I, I've gotten there with that into that flow state, um, and I do see and and I do appreciate that it's for the most part not super challenging. I'm like super into Souls games and stuff, but I like the fact that this is more, like, what be in this interactive, in this movie, and, like, be, feel good about being a badass every now and again. And Negoshi, You're like the tallest man in all of Japan. Nagoshi has talked about how he is awful at video games, and how he's, like, used to, like, wasted so many quarters in the arcade to, like, see the end of a game, and he didn't want to give uh, players that experience. I don't know, what do you think about the mecha- uh, fighting mechanics, Pat? I think uh, the fighting mechanics and the general tone of the story. Like I, I really liked the uh, in one and two the fighting mechanics. In one in particular, they were awful. They were almost unplayably awful. Did they change the shit out of it for Kiwami, by the way? Because I was very curious. Yeah, about they that. did. They oh, did. Because okay, cool. well, in one there was no fucking. Oh God, what was it? You you couldn't the stash when you were locked on. Ugh. I think there was no. Yeah. You had to lock on to attack, and then you couldn't change your direction. That sounds more like sh- or something like that. that. It was awful. Like Shinmu. Two, they fixed it. Yeah, and on and onwards, and then there's a big change with Judgment and uh, Six and Kiwami Two, where it plays very very differently with the Dragon Engine. Mm-hmm. I think the the combat engine is serviceable. I think it's very fun, but it's not super serious. It's got a lot of flash and spectacle, but it's not like a like an in depth fighter or a character action, and. I think the reason for that is because I think everyone gets this game's genre wrong, including Sega. <laughs> when we first started, you said something that like, like pricked my ears up, where you called it the 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 East's GTA analog, hmm. like crime drama, mm-hmm. and described it as an open world action adventure game. Yeah, that's like right? literally the Wikipedia pool is like right. that's the description, right? It's a goddamn RPG. Yeah. <laughs> It's just an RPG. You go talk to a story. You run through the streets and get random battles. You hit someone with a bicycle. You get to a boss. You fight the boss. You level up, etc. Like they're There's just even RPGs. A- equipping items and all that stuff. Yeah, and when you put that in, that under that lens, it's why the the comparison to GTA was always so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Because people as well, GTA, I can get in a car and I can drive 35 city blocks and I can, you know, blah, 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 blah. so not that. Yeah, yeah. uh, Mechanically, it is very different from GTA and that comparison did hurt the games and didn't do any justice. But I would argue that thematically, 
the kind of weird, like hyper near satirical vision of crime and culture within its base country. Because uh, Rockstar was a bunch of like Scottish dudes or British dudes who bought a Scottish company. It's complicated. Uh, Listen to our episode on Rockstar. <laughs> uh, who like did this hyper parody of what they saw America as. Yeah. And I honestly feel like uh, Team Ryokuga, Ryokuga, whatever. Goto. Ryoga Gotoku. Ryoga Gotoku. Just say like a dragon. <laughs> yeah, just say like a dragon. Like a dragon. Like uh, a dragon. Directed by Takashi Miike. Great movie. Um, okay movie actually. Uh, <laughs> by the way, you know you know Miike directed the Yakuza movie. That's what I'm saying. I, I watched it. It's 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 uh, yeah. when it's the everyone gets the little heat flashes in the middle of fights. Oh really? And the guy who plays Majima is real good. Dude, he wins because he drinks an energy drink. <laughs> Spoiler alert! That's like the date. That's like the climax of the movie. Dude, the movie's so bad. It's so bad. I need to watch this movie. You, there's if you can find like a compilation of the Majima scenes, it, he chews up the scenery and kills a bunch of dudes. It's good. There's clips of him peeking around like like corners of walls with the eye patch side. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of Mike's uh, Yakuza movies just straight up make fun of the Yakuza and call them like weird and like kind of like homoerotic anyway. Oh, but, but the parody, the idea of reflecting society through uh, the criminal world and kind of playing up the excesses of the, of the country it's based in. I feel like very much in that respect, the two franchises do have a similarity. Well, on that note, I want to give like a brief history of the Yakuza here. Um, uh, for anybody curious, because uh, Yakuza is like essentially the Japanese mafia, right? But like w- way more structured, uh, really, and w- had a longer evolution just because they actually were able to hold it together, I feel like. Um, so they derived from two groups in the mid-Edo period, which spanned 1603 to 1868, which were the Tekia or peddlers of illicit stolen or shoddy goods, and the Bakuto, which ran gambling dens. Now, both of these groups had a very low social status, so they needed to create their own hierarchies in order to uh, become self-made and their own hierarchies, and uh, or having their own organizations, they needed their own security, so they start bringing in, like, tough guys to, like, help uh, protect their, their peddling wares and their gambling dens. So the name, actually, this was, I thought, was very fascinating. The name actually comes from a card game. Uh, did you guys know this? Oicho Kabu is the card name, uh, or card game name. And the goal is to draw three cards, adding up to the number nine. But if the player specifically draws an eight, a nine, and a three, which is pronounced uh, all together Yakusa, the sum is 20, and the score is zero, which means it's the worst possible hand that can be drawn. Yakuza, the worst hand. Um, so essentially, uh, uh, they are extra. They're, it's all about loyalty and respect, which I feel like you get from a lot of gang stuff, really, in any context. They follow a code called Jingi, which is uh, essentially about justice and duty. And um, the groups are headed. This there's this weird family thing. They're very like the Juggalos. So they've got like a whole like they're. It's always about family. They're always talking about family. Uh, they're headed by an Ayub uh, Oyabun, which is a foster parent, because it's essentially like stray people that need some kind of guidance, and so they end up getting into uh, Yakuza. So you've got uh, like those people are referred to as the Kobun or foster children. They also are populated almost entirely by men with very few women involved who are gen- and those that are involved are, are generally wives of bosses referred to as Anesan or older sister. 
They follow a complex hierarchy that is ranked by way of a Sakazuki, which is sake sharing. So you're talking about like how they go to the offices and stuff. And essentially it's like how they share the sake is a ritual to show like this is you're my bitch now or this is a connection now that we have essentially or like uh mm-hmm. is that how I, i've always wanted a kyodai i just want an oath brother that i can like cry at when he turns out he's selling drugs which is you're not supposed to do in a yakuza you don't do that i, I want my body wrapped up in a snake tattoo but what you know what are you gonna do about it now we're granted the description that you're describing has a lot of tradition and a lot of history behind it but also they go to their office to talk about who to crime at. <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing that's, I feel like the mafia is an apt description because uh, I, I think of the Sopranos a lot where, uh, especially when thinking about the Yakuza games, because it is all these people that talk about this very rigid system of honor, but in reality, they're just a bunch of fucking dumb criminals right. that are just killing people and trying to make money. The important thing to note is that that rigid. If you are you familiar with the, a sociological term called in-group and out-group mechanics? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The yakuza are the in-group, and there is a slightly larger medium group, which is the that particular yakuza's community, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with the mob, right? There's the guys in the mob who you actually respect. Then there's the people in your neighborhood, which you respect, but not as much as the people in your mob. And then there's literally everyone else. Mm-hmm. And and that's and they do a lot of stuff for the community, like when, uh, like the like a big earthquake will happen, and they'll put a bunch of support and and money into the community to to forge that bond within or with, around them. Yeah, it's a lot like how mobsters in certain parts of the states will, you know help people out help poor people out with you know their kids lunch money Mm -hmm. or give turkeys away on thanksgiving it's like it's it's nice to do but also it's good pr Mm -hmm. there's like uh local festivals in japan where like yakuza's like well normally it's you know you're not supposed to talk about you're not supposed to show your tattoos they'll just come out and like showcase their tattoos and like just be a part of the communal festival and everyone's like oh sweet the yakuza guys are here awesome come on board guys like yeah, it's because all of their dealings were gambling and prostitution and all these kind of like hard cash, extra legal activities that you that literally because the cops aren't going to protect you, you had to physically defend your fucking money. And that led to warfare and murder and all, you know, it's just it's just doggy dog because, you know, it's organized chaos. I- One of the uh, crazier rituals is known as yubitsumi, or the cutting off of one's finger as a form of penance or apology to be given to his own boss. For the first offense, you cut the tip of the person's left little finger and go on from there. But the reason why they do that is actually very specific. It's because they're, uh, uh, they traditionally, when you held a samurai sword, like that would slowly weaken your grip on the sword, forcing you to be more loyal to the people around you because you need that protection as your f- hand slowly gets chopped off. But wouldn't you know it, pretty easy way to tell if someone's a Yakuza <laughs> if they're missing multiple fingers or digits from multiple It fingers. also means that they're a Yakuza that might not be the best at their job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they stopped actually. They've kind of slowed down on that ritual since... Uh, uh, also, uh, the full body tattoos are known as Irizumi. It is. Uh, it's one of the plot points in one of the later Yakuza games. It was one of the plot points in the first one, by the way. And they had to cut it because it was too too extreme. No, no. Uh, uh, the tattoo part is that you encounter an antagonist who has no tattoos of any kind, 
and is like, whatever, you old people, who gives a shit about the tattoos? It's all about making money. <laughs> and like that's the the lack of his tattoo is played up to be extra villainous hmm. because the games themselves, and this is where it gets really weird, right? Because you're talking about the tradition. Yakuza 1 was a lot more serious. Mm-hmm. And as the games go on and Nagoshi clearly makes friends with certain people, the traditional aspect and the honor and the heroism of your local crime family get significantly pumped up over time. Like, by the time of Yakuza 6, it's like, yes, there are bad gangsters, but really, gangsters truly are good for the community <laughs> and that's kind of what has happened it seems from my research they're like yeah they like trafficked people and stuff like that but they've really been very helpful recently and like more you know and like news media is like reporting on stuff they do you know to help communities and stuff and it just seems kind of didn't nuts. they like kill the mayor of a major city in like the past six years I wouldn't be. Is it dangerous, by the way, for us to even talk about the Yakuza? Is it like Mexican drug? Tell no. you what, if a shirtless Japanese no. man with a full tattoo of a rising carp <laughs> comes running at you, maybe think Japan's of Japan's a, a profoundly isolationist country, and they like the Yakuza don't export, right? Now, the old Colombian drug cartels, yeah, they blow up a plane you were on, <laughs> just because whatever. <laughs> Right. Yeah. But like, yeah, they don't give a shit. They're not even un- they're not even a problem when you're in Japan walking around. You can see that. I mean, have you guys been to Japan? Because you you go to certain parts. Yeah, th- those dudes. You can tell by the suit and the look and the you know the whole thing. So yeah, don't bump into them or be rude to them because uh-huh. <laughs> they love crime. <laughs> <laughs> they love crime more than you love not being stabbed. <laughs> It's it's a weird situation because it's in a, it's an it's a accepted if looked down upon part of society. Whereas here, nobody's gonna go walking around. Yet, yeah, I'm in the mob. Yeah, I'm in the mob. Yeah, totally, right. And just walk around with a big little name tag that says I'm in the fucking mafia, <laughs> right. But out there, they yeah, you know, it's quite clear. So. As we get close to wrapping things up, I uh, just wanted to talk about like the series as a whole, or what are your like what are the stand up g- games for you? Does it just get better with every title, or do you have a specific Yakuza entry that you enjoy um, more than others? Okay, so here we go. <laughs> the best one is two, and probably Kiwami two. Really? Alternatively, the best one is zero if you're new, mm. right? Zero's a plus, fantastic. Loved zero, but Ko- uh, 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 Kiwami two is like. It has the best story, basically. It has a lot to do with uh, foreign mafia influences, and it's it's fucking crazy. It Goddamn triads. It also feels like the ending from, from no, what I've not that <laughs> from what I've realized from what I've uh, seen and like looking through you know looking at the whole series as as it is. It seems like it, there's almost a soft ending to the series at the end of two, and then they kind of have to restart with three with the whole orphanage thing. Okay, so. Uh, here's here's the deal. All right, you ready for the deal? Sure, give me the deal. Yakuza One ends, and Yakuza One has a soft ending. Okay. And then Yakuza Two ends, and it has a soft ending. And the Yakuza Three is about the orphanage, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm finally done after Yakuza Three. But then Yakuza Four comes in, and there's like all these other characters, and Kiryu is like, "Ah, oh, I'm finally done after Yakuza Four. <laughs> and then Yakuza Five comes. It is it is infinite. It is like now Yakuza Six is a hard ending. Yeah. For Kiryu. 
I don't believe that for a second. I mean, there is a new Yakuza title in development tentatively called Shinryu Ga Gotoku, which is translates to like a new dragon or new like a dragon or new yakuza or true yakuza ah so but that is purported to be with the protagonist uh ichiban kasuga they released a teaser image right yep. you can see him he's yeah. got a uh, spike spiegel oh, and he there's was, a there's a cutscene. he was a protagonist in one of the spin-off games i believe like the, the like an online spin-off thing I think I he saw. first showed up in Yakuza Online, which I know nothing about. I don't either. But the most interesting <laughs> thing about Ichiban, first of all, his name means number one. Huh. So, like, Kiryu's name literally means dragon man, <laughs> right? So, Ichiban is number one. Two, he's very dark, right? He's very tan. He's from, uh, I think he's from Okinawa, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Kiryu was very light skinned. He's got huge, bushy hair, whereas Kiryu had super clean like short hair right Mm -hmm. and he wears a red suit with a gray undershirt which kiryu wears a gray suit with a red undershirt and they are they are the exact same colors he is also loud and boisterous and like hot tempered whereas kiryu i mean if you played any of them kiryu is a, a fucking block of ice stoic i would call him he is anti-Kiryu. He is opposite Kiryu in every way, from his name to his look to his, like his personal details. And on top of that, he uses Nishiki's voice actor. Huh. Huh. Like, the, 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 the primary antagonist of Yakuza 1? No. I mean, I didn't finish the game, but Nishiki is his best friend. <laughs> okay, well, uh, Yakuza 1 came out in 2004, so fuck off. I know. <laughs> uh, Nishiki is his best friend in Zero, and he's the primary antagonist of 1. His voice actor is coming back to be the new main character of uh, the Shin Yakuza series. Okay, but you think Kiryu's gonna gonna return to the fold eventually? I think that if Shin Yakuza does really badly because people don't like the new character, ah, that you're gonna see Yakuza Seven. You think it's gonna they're gonna pull a DMC? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I see. You see, Judgment came out. Judgment is like the ultimate. You can start here, guys. This series cool. They put all the money into like dubbing it. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with anything. It is pure standalone. Do you dig it, by the way? It's also fantastic. Yeah, I've heard a lot of great things. It makes me kind of... I may just jump... Well, you're giving me the hard sell on Yakuza 2, so I may just keep going with the series. But part of me wants to just jump over really quick and go through Judgment, then return back to the series because I'm hearing so many good things. The thing about Judgment is that it exists completely outside of everything else other than the location which i think is great like just keep giving us store great stories with this very charming you know wild part of town yeah. you know that, you, that we've been living in because a big a big draw for me is like it coming back to camarocho is just like it's just enjoy like i don't know i i, I know the air, the layout now it's I just, like a fun neighborhood yeah, you like hanging out yeah in. i like to return there over and over again with each each game there's a part in judgment where you first gain control and i ran over to serena to go in and i wasn't allowed <laughs> and i was like oh yeah, yeah of course <laughs> that's amazing of course this guy wouldn't be allowed that's yeah that's all so right so then you just solemnly played a ufo catcher game for like 20 minutes i did <laughs> And then I went into a different set club Sega and played Virtual Fighter Five Final Showdown. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, uh, by the way, we should you, you mentioned it briefly, but yeah, y- Yakuza Four and Five have multiple playable characters, and totally different like side quests that you know they each are trying to 
achieve different things with. You've got like the dirty cop and he's like responding to police calls and you've got um, uh, Akiyama who is uh, a loan shark trying to befriend different NPCs and attempting to create a number one hostess uh, and all this stuff. Do you think it lost something when they spread out the protagonists in those in four and five? Absolutely not. I think it was, I think it was absolutely necessary and you can feel that in six. Like when you play six, you are, you miss being able to play the other characters. Interesting. In particular, Akiyama was really popular, and people thought he was going to be the new main character. Um, and he missed a shot, I guess. Huh. Uh, there was a character that you forgot to mention. His name's Shinada from Yakuza 5. He is probably my favorite out of all of them. Oh, awesome. He's a washed-up baseball player yes. who writes uh, whorehouse reviews for a local adult magazine. <laughs> That's his job. I forget until I play Yakuza like how prominent baseball is in oh, yeah. uh, Japan. You, I almost forget. I'm like, oh right, it's like batting cages is like one is a primo destination. Like I don't even know where batting cages are in New York. You know what I mean? Japan shows the United States what it means to care about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think we're we're about through it. Is there any last things you want to say about the series? Uh, anything to? I don't even know how to further convince. Play this series; it's really good. Get a PS4 or maybe Steam. It is a cool ass game that is completely unlike literally everything else that I could recommend to anyone. Which is why I was so disappointed the way that Sega marketed it for year after year after year. The marketing on this series has is like the worst marketing to ever hit something good ever. Yeah, they marketed it like GTA. Mm. for yakuza one and that's why it failed and they even describe i was going to do a a i had a pull quote for five where they were like this is our san andreas this is our like and like that's what like negoshi was saying and i'm like what what just sell it as it is it's a fucking neighborhood style rpg with that's like a japanese noir soap opera it's like if they got people like that yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, and 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 by the way, surprisingly funny. I have laughed out loud multiple times in my uh, zero and co- I was I forget. Oh, what was the no, moment during last the night? karaoke when uh, all of a sudden they break out into that Bruce Springsteen music video of and and breaking the rules and funny writing, like not just like the funny weird mini games, but like really funny writing, like surprisingly so for a game. Like that, I never am like laughing out loud, especially at like this like Japanese import kind of situation. You know, I I don't know. Tra- they did a, they did really good jobs with with that translation stuff. I feel like I'm really their uh, their localization team is unbelievably talented. Mm-hmm. There there is nothing that that tops it. I will say one thing. Have you ever seen the uh, the interviews with the actor behind Mr. Libido? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't click no, on it, but in the thumbnail, he's it. sitting there in his underwear. Because <laughs> he's because he's like they dress like they they dressed up as their roles to do their their voices and their mocap, and it's incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh yeah, the uh, Kiryu's voice actor is a guy named uh, Takaya Kuroda, who very low, cool bass voice that I will miss if he doesn't come back to the series. Uh, but they're like, and he was based physically. Uh, Kiryu was based on the voice actor, and I don't see the resemblance except he has that weird pointy chin beard that goes like from his lower lip across the. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's the only. He wears cowboy hats. He looks nothing like Kiryu except for the weird beard thing. That is so funny. I I yeah. I think I think for me, Yakuza the game. I I I came for like the weird. You know, living in a what it's like to like live in this red light district in Japan. But I actually left 
really just enjoying like the the writing of the story and the the different dialogue exchanges that all these characters have, and also like the horny man uh, mini games. That I just want to bring peace between the Tojo clan and the Omi Alliance, guys. <laughs> it's not going to last. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again, Pat, for doing this episode with us, man. This is oh, you're quite welcome. This is amazing. I I, uh, I greatly appreciate it. You know, it's it's you guys actually uh, that is the reason I I literally if some I, I, shit I'm going to get in trouble or uh, this is going to shoot me in the foot. But I generally when someone's like, hey, want to guest on my thing? I say yes because it's I because of the generosity of folks like yourself. So thank you so much for for uh for hanging with us today oh you're quite welcome i do want to you know i just thought of another story please that i want to tell about this this shit to before i i leave you guys um nagoshi wanted to make the yakuza series and when he brought it to his bosses his bosses were like what the fuck no we don't want to make stories and games about crime people (laughs) that's not good to do and Nagoshi said that he had been working on the design for it and he believed in it so strongly that if they let him do it and it was anything else other than a big success that he would quit and leave the company. And basically like said, you guys, I, I trust me on this. I will I will commit corporate suicide here <laughs> if you guys, if I, if I fuck it up. And based on that like, that sell, they gave him the ability to do the first one, which at least in Japan was a massive success. Hell yeah. And became over time though. It's awesome to see it. it, it it's this, it's like a sleeper hit here, you know, uh, uh, in America, I feel like it's actually now, uh, Pat mentions it. I saw another interview with Nagoshi and he talked about how after the first one, uh, they still didn't, even though it was a hit in Japan, they didn't recoup fully the, uh, development expenses. And uh, when it was time for the sequel, he was, like, really trying to figure out how to make this epic game. And he was, like, doing all this planning. And his staff had to stop him and were like, dude, you're pulling a fucking Yu Suzuki. Like, they did the marketing. Like, get the game, the sequel out as soon as possible. Strike while the iron's hot. And he was like, oh, yeah, right. I'll just do that like a sensible person. And he claims that is, like, a key turnaround moment that made this series a decade-spanning franchise. All right. And then they they all stroked their chins and went... What if we just had the same location every game? <laughs> um, well, thank you again, everybody, uh, for for joining us. Uh, uh, you can catch me at twitch.tv forward slash holdnators ho, streaming all the time. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew uh, for weekly bonus content. Jake? Uh, follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung. And uh, Pat, uh, if people are truly just enamored with your video game wisdom, uh, how can they see more of you? Uh, they can see me at, over at uh, a couple places. They can see me personally over at twitch.tv slash angriestpat. That is the Twitch channel that I choose to use to stream. Super good uh, channel, by the way. I've been I've been like lurking on it quite a bit and really enjoy this stuff, man. I've been playing a bunch of weird bullshit lately. <laughs> I was playing Sinking City last night. That game's cool, but also, man, Eurojank to the max. <laughs> You can also catch me uh, guesting over on my girlfriend's stream at twitch.tv slash peach saliva. You can also catch me and Wooly's podcast, the Castle Super Beast podcast, on Mondays on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Castle Super Beast. I think it is. (laughs) And also you can catch the audio version of the podcast at Castle Super Beast on your podcast thing of choice. Hell yeah. And uh, always remember, this is how we close the show. Keep on whizzing. Never stop bruising. Hell yeah.
This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.